Hell and welcome to Circle Talk. This is a podcast for seekers and initiates by four Alexandrian witches with endless different opinions. And we are your hosts, uh, Peter, G, Josie, and James. Now, uh, before I dig into today's topic, which is on oaths, there's something I wanted to, to share real quick. In the ninth century Ireland, someone wrote down a bunch of Irish trads, which are like wisdom sayings or proverbs grouped in threes. And in modern Druid practice, there's one in particular that stands out to me in my own practice and helps inform my witchcraft, and I wanted to share it. And it's there are three things from which to never be removed. One's oaths, one's gods, and the truth. To me, these are really three corners to the room of witchcraft. You know, my my practice is in service to the gods, my gods, the gods of the Wicca, and it's in pursuit of of truth, both the internal truth, but also the truth that transcends the individual, and it is done so bound and at the same time free due to oaths. It gives an underlying uh, context or relevance. When you, when you look at the wording of our oath, it's, it's central to what we, as Alexandrians, and the Wicca do. It, it really speaks to what we're about. Now, that's for me. Uh, does anyone else have anything they wanted to uh, talk about in regards to this triad before we kick into the episode. Yeah, so if I just quickly jump in there as well, um, this this is probably it, this probably comes from Druid Druid practice, but um, the Celts or the ancient Celts of of Britain and Ireland uh, swore oaths to their to their gods, um, as as we all do, uh, but also to the land, the sea, and the sky. And their tribe, but like the land and the sea and the sky is really interesting because I think it links back to that that trinity that you were just talking about, James. Um, and obviously to their tribe, this is something that we do in in the Wicca as well, and, and being of the Wicca. Um, it's it's also quite interesting that that follows the notion of the threefold death, uh, being swallowed by the earth, being drowned by the sea, and fallen upon if um if anybody was to to break their oath. I just I thought I'd add that it was quite interesting. Well, I think that that brings us to today's topic, uh, oaths. And so, with that said, we're going to talk about what an oath is, and what it means to be oath bound. We're going to talk about oaths and legality. We're going to talk about secrecy versus privacy, and we're going to get into gatekeeping and elitism. So, with that said, um, high five, get on the broom, and let's go. So what's an oath and what does it mean to be oath bound? So th- for me, like an oath is similar to a promise, but it's like people make lots of promises. I promise to do the dishes. I promise to do the washing, like kind of trivial promises. But an oath to me is a, li- is, is a little bit stronger than just a promise. You know, when I swear an oath, um, I think like the age that we live in, it's easy to share information, right? And and I know that sometimes when I'm talking about certain things, I need to be mindful of 
the oaths that I've taken, not just not just kind of to myself or to my kin in 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 my coven, but also kind of like to the tradition as as a whole. But then that overarching like BTW as well. So for me, it's like an oath is similar, but a little bit stronger than um, than a promise. So I do feel like oaths. One of the things that I think makes always stronger than a promise is consequence. And I think part of what goes on with swearing an oath is also agreeing to a consequence if that oath is broken, right? And sometimes that consequence is as little as like, no one's going to like you, right? Like you're going to be shunned, right? Um in certain, in certain places where I've taken oaths, it is, it is that small, right? It's just like, look, like you're out if you break this oath. In some other cases, oaths are more serious. And I think in particular, some of the, the strongest oaths we make are to ourselves, right? And, and breaking those oaths we know can have significant consequences to our lives. So I think part, like part of what it means to be oath bound is, is putting a boundary around yourself right? And holding yourself to a standard um, and, and taking, taking on the burden of knowing that, you know, if I don't adhere to this principle or to this oath that I've made, then, you know, the consequences are something that I, that I deserve, that I'm willingly taking on. And I'm kind of a little bit thinking of Harry Potter, like when Snape swears the oath in, is it book seven, I think, to protect Draco or book six? Um, you know, and he like the, the burden of that oath is that he'll die if he breaks it. Right. And so like, obviously our oath should not be that, should not be that severe. Um, but, but that's kind of the counterpoint of an oath that I think is, is really key to the, like what makes it important. In, in the context of our tradition, I like to think of it as a magical contract. It's like making a pact. It's made in front of the tribe. It's made in front of the gods. It's made in front of the ancestors. And it, it outlines very specifically, I will or will not do the following. And as you said, if that's not adhered to, the following may happen. I'm reminded of that Catherine Valenti book, um, The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland. Um, there are witches in that. And... Catherine Valenti's fabulous author, made um, popular in pagan spaces by S.J. Tucker, who did albums on her work. Um, but there's a witch in this particular book, and she says to the main character, there are some things I won't tell you because I've taken oaths, and witches' oaths have teeth. And I, that was probably the first thing I thought of. Um, in traditional Wicca especially, we take our oaths very seriously. I love that quote. It's a great book. Yeah, I think, like, an oath isn't something that you take lightly. And I think for seekers, when seekers come to us, um, I know that there are there are some covens out there that kind of just just before they step in the circle, or like you talk about what you 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 talk about what to expect, but then just before they step in the circle, they're kind of like given a copy of the oath. You know, I think everybody needs to be aware of, of what they're swearing to maybe before making that final step, that final commitment. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not something that, that we take lightly, you know. And even, like G said, if, if worse comes to worst um, and, and you're kind of shunned and, you know, I, I, I think people need to know that as well. 
you know, this, if, if you break your oath, this is something that, that might happen. So just don't. <laughs> I think that's an excellent point. Uh, seekers need to realize that if you're initiated into our, our tradition or even the Gardnerian tradition, you will be oath bound. You're going to take the oath. Every initiate has experienced that and is part of our practice. Yeah, I um I agree. That shouldn't be a spoiler for people, right? Like that should not be that should that should be something that people should be aware of. And I think that all the things worth doing involve oaths of one kind or another, right? I think after I took my oaths in Wicca, I gained a sort of like romanticized notion, I guess, of oaths and that was like solidified for me. I'm a, I'm also a member of Eastern Star and I took oaths during my initiation there too. And that really made me start looking at the other places where, you know, we take oaths and what we, what we're swearing to, the kind of contracts that we're entering into. Well, I think that's an excellent point to segue to our next subtopic in regards to oaths. And that's uh, oaths and well, legality being a tradition that exists worldwide across nationalities and cultures. That is something we should look at. Yeah, I think illegality is a really interesting question because I was thinking about this and there are certainly oaths that people swear that come with legal implications, right? We talked about consequences. There are oaths that people take that come with legal consequences associated. And there are others that I think just sort of come with that are part of the social contract, right? Or sort of come with like an ethical an ethical consequence or a social consequence. And like, obviously within Wicca, because we are a we are a community where we don't have a governing body. We are across geographic, across nations, right? So we can't fit within a particular legal system necessarily. You know, that social contract piece becomes even more important. Yes. And on that same note, I think it's completely possible for someone to be an oath breaker outside the bounds of that magical contract with the tradition and still be within the legal system where they live. Just because it's legal or illegal doesn't mean that you haven't broken your oath. I think like it comes down to, you know, when, when we take oaths, um, what we're basically saying is we are entrusting you with this information. Do not give it to people who have not taken this oath within, within, within a circle of the wicca and not necessarily this circle right now but you know we're giving you this information you shared it with brothers and sisters of the craft or the kin you know um don't just dole it out willy-nilly i think another interesting point that goes along with the idea of being oath bound that you just said peter is like we we are bound literally or not literally but figuratively bound by our oaths to each <laughs> other right like we are we are tied to each other by these oaths and that part of that binding is a voluntary, but like that we're voluntarily ending into is being tied to each other, being tied to the tradition. Right. By the shared oath that we take. And, and like, I think it comes down to, and, and this might sound really trivial, but if, if you were to share information to, to maybe somebody, um, and we'll probably get into this at the later stage with like degrees and everything. But if I was to share something that is particular to a tear um like that's gonna spoil it for like somebody else and you know part part of of, of the mystery is is keep is keeping it just that 
a mystery and and not wanting to spoil something. And that can be a really hard thing um, to convey to seekers as well. And it can be a really hard thing to come up against as a seeker. And also, like, the way especially traditional Wiccan covens run, that closeness comes from that trust and that shared experience and that's something that's closed and that's bound by those oaths. And it, it, it makes the unit of the coven much stronger. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Um, as a seeker, you're sort of, the, the, I'm sure that the term perfect love, perfect trust is familiar to people. As a seeker or in some lines and some covens there's a dedicancy as a dedicant before you're initiated you are sort of asked to buy into perfect love and perfect trust because you're going into your initiation not necessarily knowing everything that's going to so you do have to subscribe to to this kind of fundamental concept of of perfect love and perfect trust before we take our before you take your oaths even though the oath is a big part of that perfect love and perfect trust, right? That we are that we are tied um, in kinship by that oath. In that same regards, it's it's important to remember who the oath is being made to. When when you're looking at the oath, it, there's absolutely nothing in it that says you are swearing to the Alexandrian tradition or the Gardnerian tradition. You are swearing to the Wicca, and so it doesn't matter what tradition your lineage is to, your oath is to the entirety of the Wicca, to everyone. And that's an important distinction that people may not think about or they'll argue, be like, oh, well, I'm not an oath breaker because I didn't swear to them. Well, you, you did. Pay attention to the wording. Look at it. I think since I was in like my civics class in high school and the idea of the social contract was introduced to me in our current global situation, I think has really brought home the idea of the social contract to a lot of us, right? I think it, it makes sense or it should make sense that the social contract in some ways carries, you know, a similar weight to a legal contract that if you want to be a member of this community or if you want to be a member of any community, wherein you take an oath or any any contract wherein you take an oath, then it should be worth it enough to you that the consequence of being shunned by that community or separated from that community is burdensome, right? So, because I'm thinking even about the oaths that people take in a marriage, um, you know, that's just, that's an oath between two people. The breaking of that oath, like the the consequence of that shouldn't be like, well, divorce is a pain in the ass, which, you know, it certainly seems to be, but it should be like, then, you know, this is a per- person with whom you have entered into a trust with. And like, if you make mutual decisions to end that marriage, like that's, that's adult decisions that get made, but breaking that contract, it hurts people. And I think like, we need to take more of a, we might need to like, as a society and as a culture, um, specifically, I'm thinking about American United Statesian culture, put more weight on hurting people. And within Wicca, you know, part of that oath taking or part of the way I feel about my oath is I don't, I don't break my oath because I, I love being a member of my community because I think that the things that we keep are worth keeping for ourselves and for others. Um, but also because I don't want to hurt the people within my community, many of whom I do not know personally, but I still don't want to hurt them emotionally or or make them feel betrayed or in any other way if that makes sense 
it does. And given the, the social contract nature to oaths, uh, it really leads into the, the question of it's the difference between secrecy and privacy, which is you know, where we're going next. And I think there's a big difference between what is secret and what is private. And although my oath may bind me to keep certain secrets, the secrets of the craft, there are many things I keep private simply because there's, they're not anyone else's business. When I am drunken in the love of the gods before the altar and in full ecstatic throes of you know, our rituals, I'm not going to go lay those, those pearls between, before swine because it's no one's business. And what, what happens in ritual is like Vegas. It stays in ritual. Thinking, what happens in circle stays in circle. Yes. <laughs> I'm also thinking of, I don't know if anybody's seen The Birdcage, but there's, it's like my favorite movie ever. And there's this wonderful scene where Robin Williams is talking to a dancer and he's like, it has to be like Fosse, 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 Madonna, Madonna, but inside. And like when you're talking about like the ecstatic <laughs> moments, like there are there are external visible ecstatic moments in ritual, but there are also many internal <laughs> ecstatic moments in ritual that are just inside, very quiet. Um, and yeah, like that that is very private, right? Any interaction that you have with your gods or with whatever you conceive the gods to be is is private and and intimate. And then we keep secrets for each other, right? In order to protect each other and in some way yeah I, I i don't really differentiate a lot between secrecy and privacy like if for me if it if it happens in circle it is only discussed if at all with with the coven you know i it might be discussed with with other trustworthy people but for me like secrecy and you know, like i will use secrecy and privacy possibly in, interchangeably i try not to think about it too much I went to a fantastic presentation at our Australian Waking Conference last year um, by uh, one of the priests from up in Sydney, um, and he talked about this in his presentation, and he used the comparison of, like, your PIN number to access your bank card and your bank balance. So your bank balance at any point is private. You don't... You don't need to tell people how much money you have in the bank. The pin that you use to access that is secret. So it's the secrecy that you use that protects those private moments and those private things. That kind of feeds back into what you guys were saying. There's been a lot of discourse recently around what actually constitutes things being oath-bound in, in you know, these modern times, and it's sort of often kind of circles back and comes back to what's oath-bound is what happens in circle and who was there in circle with you. A lot of what is passed to you in circle is, well, it's all oath-bound. If it's in circle, it's oath-bound. I think it's also important to point out that names, I don't, I don't reveal identities without the explicit permission of people, even when I'm dealing with seekers. Um, looking at other areas. If I get someone contacting me and say, I'm looking at this coven in Southern California, I may know initiates there, but before I delve out this person's contact information, I reach out to them every time and say, hey, can I pass this on? Can I put them in contact with you? And 
not only is it, it, I believe, the courteous thing to do, part of the social contract, but their identity is part of my oaths. I think it's just the courteous thing to do as well, isn't it? If if I've got mutual friends that want to spend more time together, I'm not just going to say, oh, yeah, well, here, here are their numbers kind of thing. I'm, you, you're going to speak like to both parties first before you before you divulge certain information. I am infamously terrible at keeping secrets. Like everybody knows, like do not tell G a secret because unless you, unless you explicitly tell me like the following information is secret, <laughs> like is for your ears only, do not tell. And I'm like, okay, like got it. Like I'm filing that separately. And I'm just thinking about, I'm not the only person in the world who's like this, right? Like I, I know others who, who like me just really enjoy talking um, and sharing, but what one of the things that the O's provides for me is like that is a blanket statement like everything here is secret like I don't need somebody to tell me this is secret I don't need somebody to tell me like do not share the contact information of another initiate or do not you know talk to other people about my experience and ritual that I that I shared with you like that is a blanket understanding, right? That's another thing that sort of oaths provide because people's ideas of what is secret can be different. Some people are more private. Here we have that mix up again, right? Some people are more private than others who don't want their their thoughts and experiences shared. Other people like myself, I'm very open often about my, my thoughts and experiences. But one of the things that the oaths provides for us in Wicca is a blanket understanding of or should provide for us is a blanket understanding of what is secret so that we don't have to define it at all times, right? Everybody of the Wicca takes an oath, right? So if, if we just go back to when Gerald Gardner was initiated into whatever he was initiated into, at the time, the public practice of witchcraft was still prosecutable. Like you could go to prison for being a witch. So I think the fact that at that time, you know, if you came out as a public witch, you you could go to prison. And I think the oath at, at, at that time served a purpose of keeping people out of prison, basically. You know, some people might argue that oaths are not necessarily needed anymore. But then with the with the free flow of, of a lot of information, you know, they're they're still needed as much as as they were in Gerald Gardner's days, but just for, for different reasons, I think. Well, I mean, even things like the satanic panic happened in our lifetime. So many people lost their jobs because of things like that. So I guess that urgency is not that far away from us. It might be okay now, but it's not that far away from us. And I don't think it ever will be. No. It's very geographic here in the States as well. Um, I'm sure James can attest to this because he lives in a different region of the U.S. than I do, but you know, where I live, I live in a very liberal, an urban area, very liberal area. I, I have a lot of protections and I'm feel relatively secure. I mean, one never really knows, of course, right. What, what's going to upset somebody or in a professional context, like what's going to be troublesome. But, you know, I do feel like because where I live is relatively progressive, I'm, I'm more, I'm, or not more secular perhaps is a better term and not a super religious area. I'm not super concerned, but I know that there are other areas within the U.S. where this is more more troublesome. In the bigger worldview as well, you know, we have either as Alexandrians or even Garnerians have initiates that live all over the world. And some of those places, 
you, they will still try you and put you to death for the practice of witchcraft. And so the oaths are their boundary of protection in addition to just uh, it's a social contract. They're very real where people's livelihoods or lives are at stake because you wanted to share or didn't think or purposely said some things. Yeah, I, I, I think like living, living in Wales, living in the UK, like a lot of people will say that the witch trials, whatever they were or weren't, uh, the witch trials have come to an end. But, but in actual fact, the witch trials are still going on in certain countries. Like you look at places um, like, like parts of Africa, you know, if you are perceived to practice what we term as witchcraft or magic or anything else, like James just said, you can you can be, be put to trial and put to death. You know, I think as a Western society, we're in this little bubble that we think actually this is how it is everywhere. But do you know what? It's not. And, and that's and that's scary. The thing with oaths that I think we're kind of all poking is it being a line that we've agreed exists in the sand. Now, from the perspective of a seeker, sometimes that fact that there is a line there can be seen as off-putting or as a boundary that one has to cross. There is often debate on why it exists to begin with, which kind of leads into gatekeeping and elitism, which if anyone's got any thoughts on that, let's let's go ahead and talk about it a bit. Like I I feel that these like the words gatekeeping in particular has only really come around probably in the past like years since the pandemic or like maybe two or three years and 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 I think a lot of people talk about the word gatekeeping as something really negative but actually I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it on 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 the other side and I think gatekeeping to me means protecting certain knowledge certain knowledge that not everybody can digest not everybody should have access to. That's not to say that that certain people won't get access to something. But right now, where you're at on your path, there are certain things that I'm going to protect and 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 keep from you, for whatever reason. And and I think sometimes it can be, you know, when when it can be quite frustrating for seekers when they're kind of not given the whole cake, kind of thing, and and some of it is kept back for later. For one, it spoils. It spoils stuff, and 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 two, we also don't want certain information getting into. And th- these are air quotes for our listeners because you can't see this, but obviously, information getting into the wrong hands and then that being shared, if that includes secrets of the wicker or the mysteries of the wicker, then again, that just kind of spoils it for everyone, you know. So yes, I think if if somebody says, "Oh," you're keeping this information from me just because you want to, then do you know what? Sometimes that's a valid reason. That's a valid reason. If I don't want to share something with you, I'm under no obligation to. So I don't necessarily see gatekeeping as um, always something negative. And I suppose like the same for me for, for elitism, you know, not everyone is going to be suited to Alexandria Witchcraft. Not everyone is going to be suited to the coven that I'm in, in my coven. You know, as coven leaders, we we have we have that right to kind of 
accept or reject, sometimes with reasons, sometimes without reasons, which, again, can be really frustrating to seekers. So, yeah, I don't necessarily see the terms gatekeeping and, and like, elitism as as always necessarily negative. I think if you want to say, yeah, you know, you're keeping this from me, sometimes the answer is just, yes, I am. And you're just going to have to deal with that right there and then. Those, those are excellent points. For me, I, I think it's it's less about keeping things until later. It really comes down to a lot of about time. There's so many seekers. I mean, in in Louisiana where I live, there I know of two, maybe three covens. None Gardnerian, all Alexandrian. I know of a couple of Gardnerians in the area, but there's so many seekers that I would spend all my time explaining what we do and how to do it. And I would never actually get to practice the craft. And as regards to being picky about who you, you, you let into your coven, it's really about right fit. Covens are small. They're very personal, very personal. And you're, you're burying your soul before the gods and your coven mates. And for everyone's own safety, you also have to be aware of who you're letting into your homes. You know, so for me, it's a lot about that and less about, oh, you'll get this later or now's not the right time. It's to echo what Josie has said previously that, you know, being of the Wicca, being BTW or Alexandrian does not make it you better than anybody else. Like being an initiate does not make you better than anybody else or make what you do better than anyone else. And I think that the problem with the idea of elitism is that people conceptualize, people perceive a closed tradition, right? Which is just a tradition where you don't have open access to it by reading a book. You need to be initiated or brought into the tradition in some way by the people who are practicing it. People perceive that as being associated with elitism when I don't think so, because I don't think that what I do is better than every, anything else that people do or better than, or I don't think I'm better than anyone else because of my initiatory status. What I think it is, is it is better for me. Like this, I do this because it is the thing that works best for me because it fits best within my belief system, because it fits best within my practice, not because I think it makes me better than other people. And the idea of not everybody's going to be a good fit for it. There are lots of reasons for why that is. Like we're very structured. Um, we practice like a much more liturgical structure, like ritual, um, which is something we can get into later. We do have ideas about privacy and secrecy, and that's just not going to work for everybody. And I don't think it's unreasonable for me to want to protect the experience for myself and for my kin to make sure that the people who want to be here are the ones who are here and the ones who really don't want to be here or who aren't going to get anything out of it or aren't going to be a good fit, find something that's a better fit for them. Like the, to me, that is an elitism. That's just saying like, this is what's best for me. And it's protecting the experience for myself. Similarly with gatekeeping, I do think like, uh, Peter, you mentioned a little bit of like some of it we preserve for your own good. And I have told my seekers that like, I could let you experience X, Y, Z, I don't think that there's anything particularly dangerous or problematic about it. What I think is you're not going to fully appreciate it yet. And it's better to be saved for when you can fully appreciate it, because otherwise I think the experience gets a little bit sort of like ruined. You can't, this is a, this is a terrible analogy that I'm going to make anyway, but you can't understand 
I shouldn't make it because I don't understand math, but you can't understand algebra two unless you've had algebra one, I assume. I don't know. It's been a while. Right. And, and so, I mean, I could teach you algebra two, but it's not going to make any sense. And so it's, it's kind of like that. And, and the other thing is that people think like what we gatekeep, I'm not like anything that anything about a lot of like Wiccan practice is available in, in books about eclectic Wiccan practice, right? Like there's just not that much secret about like what we literally action do. I think what is secret, what is, what is kept for ourselves is like the mystery and the experience of it, which I could not possibly give to anyone else anyway, right? Like we say the mysteries protect themselves because you, I cannot, even if I wanted to give that to the wider public, I don't know. I don't have the words for it. I'm not an author. And even if I think I were an author, like explaining ecstatic experiences or explaining deeply personal experiences is a really difficult thing to do. I mean, we, I mean, we do have at least one author amongst us, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe they can vocalize it better. I mean, Josie, what do you think? Don't throw me under the bus here, Peter. <laughs> No, I, I agree with all of that. It's not um, a lot of what we do doesn't have, you don't have the words to kind of explain it, even if you wanted to, but I, I wouldn't because I don't want to. Um, a lot of the experiences, like you said, can't be properly appreciated until you're sort of on the other side of that circle, until you are an initiate. Being initiated and the training that kind of builds up to that or that comes directly after kind of gives you that vocabulary, that toolbox to navigate some of the experiences. Like there's a reason this system works and there's a reason it's been working for as long as it has. So we've been talking a lot about experience and I think that's an important distinction here is when I was seeking on my first Alexandrian coven, the, the high priest who was teaching the secret classes was very specific in making sure we understood that our craft is experiential and it's hard to gatekeep experiences. You've either had the experience or you haven't. Um, our, it is also important to understand that our, our craft is a group practice as opposed to an individual practice. I like to jokingly tell everyone that every traditionalist is eclectic at heart because when I get together with a group of Alexandrian witches, I practice in a group agreed upon way so that we're all on the same page and no one has to figure out how we're going to do things. We can get straight to the deep work. But when I'm at home, I just kind of do it my way. And joining or being initiated into a tradition doesn't change that. No one tells you what to believe, what to do in your personal practice. And it's really about the group. It's experiential and keeping the secrets of the craft. So I think we've kind of exhausted oaths at the moment. So today we talked about what an oath is and what it means to be oath bound. We talked about oaths and legality. We talked about secrecy and privacy. And we talked about gatekeeping and elitism. We also talked about a whole lot of other things that just kind of came up, and that's okay. That's that's part of what we do. It's it's part of riding the the broom of witchcraft and just going and getting it done. So before I leave you, kind of closing thought. Not all oaths that we take in life are in regards to the practice of witchcraft. 
but if oaths are a pact that is made, I would recommend or it would behoove the listeners to take a moment and think about what oaths you've taken. Do you hold them dear? How are you keeping them? Really, really think and sit on that. So with that said, uh, see the episode notes for our contact information. If you have any questions or thoughts or queries, hit us up. We'll do our best to answer them. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks again for listening to all of us at Circle Talk. So Merry Meet, Merry Part, and Merry Meet again.